Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, folks. I am John Najarian from MarketRebellion.com, and this is Compound Interests. On today's show, I'm going to be speaking with Scott Ladner. Scott does a great job describing what dispersion trading is, and don't just let that like roll over you. Dispersion trading is not as difficult to understand as you think. It is, for instance, taking that higher volatility unit, which might be an index, and then the constituents, the stocks that make up that index, and trading one against the other, and capturing the edge that is apparent in perhaps that index being a little higher volatility than is justifiable. And then capturing and having um, a hedge on against that on the other side of those constituent stocks. He's going to talk about volatility. He's going to talk about uh, exactly what goes on when a $6 billion uh, portfolio gets moved around in the markets and how it impacts the markets and your money. It's a great conversation. I encourage you to listen. I know you're going to enjoy today's Compound Interests. Hey, John, thank you very much. Um, I am uh, pretty excited because I've known the guys at Wallach Beth, um, in particular, of course, Andy McOrmond, but David Beth and Mike Wallach. I've known a lot of the guys on the team there for quite a while. And, you know, during our discussion, we'll probably get into a little bit about what they do, but they are a broker's broker. They basically find liquidity where firms like Horizon are looking for it. You know, whether that's liquidity to get into a position or liquidity to get out um, to make it less, you know, that that friction is always something that you and I worry about. Right, Scott? No doubt. Yeah. And, and you know, a firm like that is really important to a firm like ours because we infrastructure is required to do a really good job trading ETFs and trading those types of securities. It's, it's pretty massive. Um, and they can access the different, the different players in the industry and really be able to kind of match, match things up in a pretty intelligent way and pretty seamless way. So, the, you know, the value they create for a firm like ours is, is pretty massive. We love them. Yep. Well, um, for those folks who don't know, Scott, you guys are based out on the East Coast. I believe, still in the Charlotte area? We are, yep, and the hurricane missed us, so we're in good shape. Thank goodness. Um, yeah, uh, you know, knock on wood. Uh, that, <laughs> that looked like it was pretty bad when it was heading towards the Carolinas, but it, uh, like you say, it missed you and or it just kind of burned out. It got all the way down to a, a category one, I guess, and now it's, yep. is it still a cat one or is it a, just a tropical storm? I think it's just just a, just a storm right now heading up the coast, but yeah, nothing. Some some winds and rain, but nothing too too bad for us. Now, who typically Scott would be the sort of party that would be giving Horizon money to manage? I mean, is it individual investors? Is it all endowments and institutions? Give us kind of a breakdown of uh, sort of the the minimums as well as the sorts of uh, like I say parties that you guys deal with. Right. So we're, we're actually, so our clients are actually financial advisors. And so ultimately, you know, clients are folks like my parents, like my mom. Um, but we don't actually deal with, with mom in the end story. We, we actually, we deal with their financial advisor for the most part. Um, and so, you know, we do have institutional money. We do have other, other types of clients. But our bread and butter business really is the advisory business um, and, 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 you know, ultimately people that are their clients. 
so then these FAs or financial advisors that are out there, they rely on you guys because number one, you guys have a strategy that you employ. Uh, number two, a lot of those FAs might not have quite the uh, uh, derivative expertise that you guys have over at Horizon. Not that that's 100% of your uh, trading every day, but obviously um, it's not every shop that has that derivative expertise. There are a few of you guys uh, or of us, since uh, I'm an advisor over at our own firm for that. Um, I don't actually touch customer money at all for a whole variety of reasons, Scott, um, because it would, it would impair my ability to talk about it on television and all that sort of thing. But nonetheless, um, you ran a dispersion book when you were over at uh, Peak Six. Can you give the, uh, the people watching and listening at home a little idea of what a dispersion book is? It sounds like something that's really complicated, um, and it is, but it's also something that's not that difficult to understand when an expert explains it. Yeah, that's right. So a dispersion book or a volatility dispersion book is really a, a, a type of trading strategy, a type of derivative strategy that's based on uh, the differences between uh, the, the implied volatility or the, or the option price of an index versus the option price or the implied volatility of the constituents of that index. And, uh, you know, the long, long story short, the, uh, the implied volatility of the index is generally going to be higher than the sort of the weighted sum of the, of the, of the, of the component parts. Uh, and so it's generally because of correlation factors in, in involved with how these things work. And so generally what, what you're doing with a dispersion book is you're selling volatility on the index and buying volatility on, on the component parts. And you tend to make money kind of slowly over, over time in, in a strategy like that. The risk you're exposed to in a strategy like that, though, is, is, a, is, a, is a spike in correlations like we just saw in March. Um, and so, you know, that, 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 you know, that kind of uh, trading activity can be very, very damaging to, to correlation books or to dispersion strategies, broadly speaking. Uh, and so, the, you know, that is, it, it can be a really, uh, really kind of fun strategy to run, or a, a really nice strategy to run, but just knowing what the risks are going into it, uh, are, it's always important. There's no, there's, no free, there's no free money out there, as we well know. Yep. Well, um, maybe give us an idea, if you could, Scott, when, when that March volatility did spike, when we got up to 80 for the VIX and so forth. Um, during the, the, the peak of that fear uh, that, oh my God, we're all locked down, the economy's shut down, what's gonna go on? You know, nobody's flying, cruise lines are shuttered, um, maybe they're all going bankrupt, airlines and cruise lines and so forth. Thank God that's behind us. But when that was going on, did that create some great spread opportunities for you in exactly that kind of strategy that you just outlined? Yeah, I mean, it would, assuming, assuming that you end up uh, having the capacity to stick with it. Uh, so, you know, like one, one, of the, one of the main things with a strategy like that, uh, or, with, or with any kind of generally volatility selling strategy or, or short correlation strategy, is the ability to stick with it when things get tough. So that, you know, the amount of capital that you, uh, that you, you have associated with that is it's kind of the determining factor about whether or not you can stick with it or not. Um, but you know those, those you know these types of opportunities obviously don't come around very often. So if you know if you do have the the staying power to get through it, it can it can make for some 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 really compelling opportunities. Um, but you know seeing seeing the treasury market stop cease functioning again and and seeing other things we saw and like like we did in March, uh, probably not going to well let's say hopefully it's not going to happen again for a little while uh, yeah. just for everybody's uh, ability to sleep at night uh, standpoint. Um, but but yeah you know, but you know when they do come around, it's it's nice to have some dry powder. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of those spreads were uh, as wide as you'd seen them in a while um, because of exactly what you described at the top, Scott, about, you know, uh, being short index vol 
against the constituent stocks that make up that index. Um, now, how focused down to a group of stocks do you guys get when you're trading an ETF, for instance? If, do you get down into the 10 stock ETFs and things like that, some of the spiders and so forth? Obviously, the spider itself for the S&P 500 is one thing, but when you're talking about you know, the uh, IWM or the XLF or you know, some of these others, obviously IWM's 2,000 stocks, you know, that's the small cap index, the Russell. When you get down to a, a 10 stock index or even less, that's got to make that dispersion uh, trading a little more interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there are certainly things you can do to, to offset that, um, but but it's you obviously can't trade options on 2,000 stocks, uh, and, and so you know, you end up picking baskets of things that you can that you can actually functionally deal with. Um, you know, it, it, that you know that that specific kind of kind of trading strategies is something that we do that we do a ton of at Horizon, but but we do use a lot of the um, you know, we do use a lot of the the metrics that you, that you would employ for 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 running those. Of strategy. So, for instance, a metric called implied correlation is can be a very important kind of very telling metric for how how much does the market, uh, how much does the index option market, how much are, are ball players really worried about a spike in correlations, really worried about a spike in ball. Um, that implied correlation metric, which you can derive uh, from the index option prices and from the constituent part prices of, the, of, the, of those options, you know, that, that implied correlation metric uh, you know, was actually above 100 for, for a couple of days there in March. So obviously you can't go and get correlations over 100. That's telling you that there's some, some real severe market stress uh, involved in the, particularly the price of index options, uh, which is just telling you that folks are running for the exits as fast as possible. That kind of information can be really useful uh, when, when, when running strategies like we run. Yeah, that liquidation in March was was pretty horrific, um, and even some of the uh, the rallies subsequent to that, uh, we we saw some just you know those knee jerk thousand point or eighteen hundred point moves. Um, and regardless of how seasoned the investor was, that has to be something that you know you guys were you doing a lot of hand holding during that time. When the you know FAs are calling you up saying we've still got our money right you know we've still got money we're not we're not broke right <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean we when things get fast we talk a lot um, and and so yeah I mean uh, in terms of handholding because that's important right I mean like we're pro like we're all pros we do this for a living this is all we do um, mom just looks at the TV freaks out and calls her financial advisor freaked out and then advisor freaks out because they're dealing with a hundred such clients. And so, you know, you know out, active outward facing communication uh, when we're in, we're in fast markets like that ends up being a really large value add we can give because when you can turn something that's very uncertain and provide some context and provide some understanding and, and it's like plain vanilla stuff, uh, plain vanilla the way that like, this is why this stuff is happening. Here's what we're looking for. Here's what you need to be aware of. Here's why you shouldn't be panicking and really kind of doing something silly with the portfolio or selling out or doing, you know, just making other, other types of you know, decisions that we know are going to be probably in hindsight, like a week or two later, wrong. Um, you know, just providing, you know, being able to provide some context and some, and some intelligence around, uh, you know, around some of these events and what's, what's really driving them and what we're looking for for normalization purposes uh, ends up being a pretty useful uh, spot. Our, our technology tools that we actually have on, on, on the site too, which actually allow advisors to, to go in and take a look at each one of their portfolios. And, and actually we have some hedging strategies that, that, are, that, that we've got that are pretty popular. They, they can actually go in on a daily basis and see how far away their portfolios are from being hedged or what percentage they are hedged, when they're gonna get unhedged, all those types of uh, metrics can be really settling when, when clients get freaked out. Because what, the, what you need to provide when things are very uncertain is a modicum of certainty. 
and some rationale. Uh, and if you can do that, you get people to calm down and reduce the behavioral biases that we know can really be destructive uh, to, to, their, to their financial plans. Well, Scott, can you tell us a little bit about uh, AUM, about the assets that uh, Horizon manages? And again, folks, he's already explained that these assets are coming to them um, through financial advisors. Um, and those financial advisors are counting on Horizon to then manage the funds when they hand them over. Um, and you guys are giving them, uh, is it, uh, by the way, do you guys offer um, monthly liquidity or what is the liquidity cycle that you guys can offer? Um, and then get into the AUM part of that question, Scott. Yeah, so we actually offer it as daily liquidity because everything that we do is in public markets. So we run, there's, there's eight mutual funds that we, that we run. There's a couple of ETFs, or three, three ETFs now that we subdivise, and we do a lot of things in separately managed accounts. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it, it is daily liquidity. We don't do anything in private markets right now. Um, we run a little over $6 billion, uh, and, and it's, a, uh, it's, you know, it's grown very, very, it's grown very quickly. Uh, and, you know, the way, that we, the way that we look at the world and the way, the way that we, uh, the way that we um, deal with the investment problems that, that mom and dad have uh, is very intuitive. Um, is very different. It's, it's, it's still fairly sophisticated, but it's different than the way that they're used to being talked to. And so that you know that 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 goals-based approach or that kind of outcome-based approach has been uh, has been pretty powerful in, in, in gathering assets and sort of telling our story and making making the complex simple again. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, obviously that growth is pretty phenomenal um, to get up to six billion assets under management, uh, and that's between, as you say, the advice that you offer for those three uh, ETFs as well as the uh, did you say eight mutual funds, Scott? Eight mutual funds. Yep. Yeah. Eight, yeah. Eight mutual funds, and so between the mutual funds and the ETFs, that's about two and a half billion, and then and then the uh, the remainder is then uh, separately managed account models. Fantastic. Um, now, uh, when when that volatility was spiking um, in March, and you guys were looking to commit capital, that's that. You know, I'm not saying buy the dip for that, even though I do buy dips a lot. But uh, you guys are, you know, getting calls all the time from either people redeeming and pulling some money out for a host of reasons. Um, hopefully not too much of it was fear-based back in March. But by the way, what sort of uh, conversations did you have with FAs who were calling you up? There's my dog, uh, Dexter. Uh, what sort of conversations hey, were you guys having at the depths of the crisis in March? Do you think maybe... 10% of the assets were folks that were just liquidating and getting out, or was it even less than that? It was, it was well, for our, for our particular book, it was less than that. We, we were actually net, we were net flow positive uh, every month this year. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we, we've, we've been adding assets uh, every month this year. And I, and I do think, John, a lot of it is because of the certainty that we can provide uh, for folks and the, and the tools that we can, the transparency with which we do things um, and, the, and, the, and the, you know, the way that we can solve people's problems uh, in, in, a, in a pretty coherent, intelligent way um, that, that it, and, be, and again, be very proactive in the communication part. Like that's, as, as I know you know very well, like when things get tough, you gotta be really actively communicating with your client base um, because people are just scared. They don't, they don't know what's going on. They've got a lot of questions. And the more you can be out there saying, here's what's going on, here's why it's going on, here's what we're looking for for, for resolution. The more you can tell that story and, and be able to be coaching about it, uh, you know, the more you're gonna get people, uh, and you, the more you're gonna earn trust. And, you know, like the, and trust is such an important thing uh, for a money manager to, to have, and, and, and something that we, that we value deeply. It's something that we think we, we gained a lot of uh, over the last six months just with what's happened and how we've handled it. Well, 
um, you know, my hat's off to you because I know that uh, when stuff's hitting the fan, um, I know our wealth managers over at the firm, um, what they rely on a lot is when the, uh, when customers are calling up and they're worried, they know they should be almost doubling down on investments because, you know, it's such a reverse indicator. Um, if the customers want to take on more risk, our guys want to take it off because they say, man, you know, and it, it's, it's not as simple, Scott, as uh, fear and greed, but it is, you know, people when they get that FOMO, that fear of missing out, and they're sitting there saying, man, why do we have any of these hedges on, guys? Why have you guys written calls against this stuff? You know, it just goes up every day. And our guys are like, it's probably time for us to be owning put spreads, too, <laughs> if these guys want me to lift my call hedges and so forth. Um, but that's really, uh, this year should be something that you guys could uh, basically put out a pamphlet about uh, to all the FAs as far as if you were adding money during that time, during that March drawdown, rather than having people saying, you know, hey, I'm just really too nervous. I need to get out. It might point to, Scott, one of the uh, benefits of having a financial advisor, because that's one more person between the ma or pa sitting at home and the person committing that capital, you, because there's a a filter in between that financial advisor who hopefully has enough experience in the markets not to be just blown out and, uh, you know, uh, so fearful at the bottom and instead looking at it and saying, this is an opportunity, guys, this is an opportunity. This is not the time to be liquidating. Well, and, and, and you're exactly right, John, because and you, as, as you know, like financial advisors have, uh, you know, I don't know, what is it, three dozen jobs they have to do all simultaneously? Um, you know, many, managing money is one of them. I mean, you know, like managing the assets is just one part of it. Uh, and so that's why, you know, that's why our clients are, you know, and the, the advisors that work with us, that's generally why they come to us. They say, listen, we, we, we can't spend the kind of time that, that, that you guys, like, this is all we do. This is all Horizon does. Uh, and you know, look at markets, make decisions, and, and manage portfolios. And the, the financial advisors have to do tax planning, financial planning, investments, client acquisition, holding hands, to client, you know, the quarterly meetings. So like, there's a slew of, of stuff that they've got to take care of, and we know that. Um, and, and so, you know, just just having the amount of you know the amount of eyes looking at the markets and making determinations about what's going on and how to interpret uh, sort of the vast array of data that are that are available today, um, it, you know, and it's just one less thing they have to do. Um, and, and again, the, and that's where the trust part comes in, right? If, I mean, if they, if they can sit back and they can watch how you perform and watch how you do through a crisis like this, um, it will build, it'll end up building a lot of trust uh, in, in, the, in, the, in between the, the, you know, the advisor and a, and a firm like ours. Um, and, and that, you know, we can, you, you can use that going forward um, because they know that if things get really tough, uh, they know they can call you, you know, you're going to be communicative. Uh, they know, you know that, that our job is really to give them words to say to their clients. Um, it's, to, it's to provide information in a, in a context in a way that is useful to them, like both as professionals in the money management industry, but also as as client facing people and you know as handholders sometimes. Uh, you know that you know giving those words to folks to say uh, is is a, is, a, is a pretty large value we think, and, and it's you know hopefully that'll bear out in the next in the coming months. I'm sure it will. Um, do you guys? Uh, 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 I don't know with any of the mutual funds that you guys are very big in the metals. Are you? We, we we don't we we use metal stuff um, in like we analyze metals and we look at that market. It's not something we invest a ton in, but man, they have been super interesting lately. Yeah, 
Um, um, I mean, I, I highlighted just a little bit ago how those miners like that GDX and so forth, how well that's done versus just the straight GLD. Um, the, the GDX folks, for those who uh, are not as versed in it, is the miners. There's a GDXJ, which is junior miners. Um, as well. But, juicy miners. Yes. <laughs> the JCS are juicy. <laughs> but I mean, oh my gosh, that the performance just in the last, I mean, here we are talking on the 5th of August and uh, we just hit another high, another all-time high for gold to, in U.S. dollar terms. Uh, I got to throw that in there because otherwise Gartman will email me and tell me, <laughs> not in yen terms, John. Um, just kidding. I love Dennis Gartman. But in fact, I, I think he's not too far from you guys, maybe. Um, or he's in North Carolina, actually, I think, not South Carolina. But um, he, uh, he preaches all the time about metals. I like them as a diversity uh, from just straight stock investing um, to have exposure to the metals, whether it's silver or gold. Um, what do you think? Uh, it, I'm not saying you guys make this allocation for the customers, perhaps you do, but what do you think a prudent hold is for a percentage of somebody's portfolio in metals? So I mean, it, it's different now than, than, than it would have been um, for most of the last decade. So you know, the, 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 only, the only time when we think it makes any damn sense at all to, to, to allocate something like that is when you have material, materially negative real short-term rates. Right, so, so you know, and right now, you know, the, the, the two-year yield is 20 basis points, and inflation is running up percent and a half. Call it, um, and, and inflation, or if you want to look at inflation swaps, they're telling you about the same thing. We're on a forward-looking basis, so you know that means that, that the real, you know, real interest rates are somewhere around negative one percent when you, you know, so interest rate minus inflation. Uh, when that happens, uh, there does become a pretty, a pretty, pretty solid uh, relationship between the price of precious metals, especially gold, um, and, and and those level of, of, of negative real rates. And so we don't think, well, it's really hard to envision a positive real rate, at least during the rest of this presidency, probably during the entire next presidency. And for, you know, you're probably looking at the, the, the third president now before we have a shot to get positive real rates again. Um, and because the Fed's not moving for at least five years and probably more like 10. Um, and, and so the, you know, if, if, if that is the case, then, then rates are pinned in the neighborhood of zero, you know, maybe 50 basis points. Um, and, and inflation is gonna be somewhere above that. If that's the case, then holding a, a zero yielding uh, asset like gold uh, doesn't hurt you. It actually can help you. And, and so in those, in those types of cases, uh, you, know, uh, you know, gold, if you think about it as kind of a, an inflation protected cash, uh, that's, that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's a reasonable holding. Um, so, you know, we, would, we would probably wouldn't do anything more than, more than five or six percent in, in something like gold. Maybe a different story. If you're talking about something like GDX or the, or the, or the junior gold guys, um, because then you, you're harvesting not only um, some sort of real rate premium associated with withholding something like gold, but you're also, uh, you're also harvesting some of, some of the equity risk premium, which you think can make some sense as well. Um, so if you want to go more than about 5%, probably something having some equity component associated with it would probably make more sense in our view. Um, but we actually, you know, we don't really hold gold or do a whole lot with it in the portfolios because it's, it's, it tends to be over long periods of time fairly inconsistent with a, man, with a gold-based mandate. Um, you know, we think that, that, for, that for certain people and for certain types of positions, uh, it can be, you know, it probably has some pretty nice prospects uh, so long as, you know, so long as real rates are negative. And that's, I mean, that's, that's going to be the case for a while. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I'm sure Peter Schiff and uh, um, Bill Fleckenstein, who we had on the show uh, earlier this week, would absolutely agree. Um, 
for myself right now, Scott, I've got about 4% of the real metal um, and about uh, the same percentage in the miners. And I write calls against the miners. I don't write calls against the futures or against the actual physical gold that I have. Um, but so I, I guess and I'm that's, not, that's called expensive right now, right? Yeah. Well, on those are really high. So that's probably the most expensive thing you got. Yep. That's great. So that's great. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm happy with the allocation. Um, when you guys are looking at some of the things that, that pop up uh, and you're going to do uh, an execution um, and you're spreading it across, of course, all the portfolios that you guys hit separately managed and so forth, which uh, based on what you described is somewhere between um, maybe $4 billion or whatever across all those different accounts. Um, that's probably where a firm like uh, Wallach Beth comes in pretty big because in some cases, the liquidity you guys are gonna be seeking isn't really on the screen. Um, you know that it's out there and that there's interest, um, but you don't know how much of it you'd be able to access from the screen trade alone. So maybe if you could walk us through what a, a broker's broker would do for you. Uh, I'm making it a commercial for Wallach Beth, of course, but what any good <laughs> broker's broker would do um, in terms of getting you that liquidity that you need, because like I say, you don't always see it on the screen. No, John, you're absolutely right. And, and especially in the case of ETFs, I mean, you know, the, the, the kind of last place you go for liquidity in ETFs is, is the liquidity you see on the screen. Um, but, but, but there, you know, there's all sorts of ways to, to replicate the payout of an ETF. Uh, folks can do it with a basket. You can do it with some linear combination of liquid futures. Um, so, you know, I know people, people trade high, you know, HYG, the high yield ETF with some linear combination of, of, of SPOOs and, and, and treasury futures. Um, you know, there, there, there's all sorts of things you can do to, to, to make markets with ETFs. And, and with what a firm like Wallet Beth is able to do is actually access all those different types of folks that look at the world differently. So if we, if we need to, to buy or sell you know, $100 million of a high-yield ETF, um, you know, if you look on the screen, you know, maybe there's a, there's a million on the bit of the offer. It's, not, you know, it's really kind of nothing there. Um, so, you got, so you have to go to people and say, you know, I, I, this, is, this is where I am, this is what, this is what I want to do. And the way that their book is set up, the way their inventory is set up, combined with how they look at that particular product, uh, whether it's a kind of replication or whether it's with the ETF itself or whether it's some kind of, kind of hedging technique, um, you know, it will really determine the kind of market they can make in it. And so, you know, whereas one day they might be, a, you know, make, make a great bid in it, the next day they might be a terrible bid in it just because the way that their book is, is kind of rolling around. We're never going to know that. Um, you know, Horizon Investments just is not in the position to, to have that kind of information. It's just not what we do every day uh, for a living. Um, but Wallachbeth is. And, and so, you know, by, by accessing and by using a firm like Wallachbeth, you know, they're able to, 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 to they, they kind of know who is doing what, what, to, what you know, who's, who's making good bids or offers on these types of securities today or, or um, you know, kind of how, how are they positioned or what did they do yesterday or last week that might set them up to be a natural on the other side of a trade like that. Um, you know, that just that kind of institutional knowledge uh, is incredibly value to us and, and, and our clients, obviously. Um, and so, you know, like the, using folks like them allows us to access that kind of expertise that, that we alone, uh, you know, like we might be a bunch of smart guys, but we don't, you know, it's just not the market we play in. Um, and so, you know, we access, we use a bunch of smart guys that, that do play in that market um, and to the benefit of both us and, and, and our customers. And so it's, you know, it's a, it's a really nice relationship. We've known them for over a decade and been using them a ton. Uh, and, it's, and it's for that reason. They, they get great, great execution uh, and you know, really good market knowledge. Uh, and, and, and by the way, they're awesome dudes. Yep, I agree. I agree. 
Um, now, how often, if at all, uh, do you get solicited on one of those trades? So for instance, let's say they had another client that was, uh, and that just to pick one, let's say that you were doing something in the miners, um, in the GDX, and they knew that you, you know, they'd executed for you in the last couple weeks, and all of a sudden a trade comes in from the other side, and they give you a call, Scott, and they say, hey, does Horizon have any interest in the following? How does that conversation go? And has that triggered a trade with you guys when that happens? They, 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 will, they will call us on with, with stuff like that. You know, we, don't, we don't respond a ton to it. It doesn't, it doesn't fit for us all the time um, because we're not, you know, we're not really a market-making kind of shop. We're more of a positioning kind of shop. And so when we trade, it's because we're, we're needing to do a position change. Our, our investment views have changed for some reason. Um, and, and so it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily responding to shows like that that, that is, that is uh, moving the needle for us. But even if we don't respond to it or even if it doesn't fit for us for a reason, it's, and it's not a never, it's just not a, it's just not a frequent sort of occurrence for us. Um, even even that is even without you know executing on something like that, just the knowledge that these are the types of things transactions that are going on in the marketplace uh, can be really helpful color. Um, and, you know it, you know even if there's nothing for us to do physically with it, uh, the knowledge that this this kind of activity is going on uh, can spur some research on our side. Say you know what's what's somebody else seeing? Like what you know, why why are they why are they doing this? Uh, and and that you know that that always you know, that can lead to a research avenue that can be fruitful for us and end up leading to a to a change in our thought process. Do you guys have a lot of internal um, analysts, Scott, uh, within Horizon, or are you re relying on third-party outside folks or a combination thereof? It's a combination. So we, we there are 15 folks on our investment team. Um, you know, a bunch, bunch of PhDs, a bunch of old derivatives traders like myself. Uh, you know, we got our, our, our regular traders. We got single stock guys. We got computer science guys. It's a, it's kind of a mishmash of of, uh, of people from really disparate backgrounds um, that that come together and try to try to figure out what the world's saying and, and, and make investment decisions based on that. Um, but but it's 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 uh, you know it's it's. it's that that team aspect of it, and, and, and the fact that we all have very different starting places for our, for our analysis, very different backgrounds, um, ends, up, ends up making kind of a fun investment room. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of a lot of conversations that happen because somebody, uh, you know, like our FX guy will see something and he's like, "Well, do you realize that means X, Y, and Z?" And I'm sitting there like, "I have no idea. Uh, no, I don't. I don't understand that. Explain it to me, please." Um, and but but just just having that. That sort of uh, cross section of backgrounds is a, is, a, is a really powerful tool for us, and we're trying to figure out what the market's telling us. So when um, when we talk about algorithmic trading and high frequency and so forth, obviously that's not you guys. I understand, and hopefully um, the listeners and viewers have been understanding what you're saying. That you guys are position traders. You're not market making. You're not DRW or Virtu or Citadel, where you're sitting there. Um, reacting to and trading, you know, millisecond by millisecond. You guys are positioning to uh, hold that position and to reap some of the reward that you've already described. You know, for instance, being short those index, uh, that index vol versus some of the constituent vol and so forth. But has though has that volatility and the uh, um, the in some cases, I'll say illiquidity in those markets, because um, when I look at those markets, and I'm not always calling Wallach Beth, I probably talk to those guys once a week. But when I'm just looking at the market and trading and so forth, a lot of times that's pretty thin because they understand those high frequency firms and the algorithmic traders that if you put a bid or an offer out there, you're basically giving somebody information for free. 
They don't like doing that. Um, so they post very little up there on the screen. And does that, uh, you know, is, is that something that, that has hindered some people, perhaps not you guys, because of what you've already said about using Wallach Beth and so forth to seek the liquidity, but is that something you think that impacts the market in a negative way, that the displayed liquidity is so low these days? John, I think you hit on one of the most important topics that's out there right now. Yeah, uh, we liquidity, however you want to measure it, and like, and you've been around, long, you know, a long time too, and like, you, I know you just, you can just feel it. Um, but, but, but even if you quantitatively measure these things, uh, liquidity is in the basement, and it's been in the basement since the kind of the VIX blow up in February of eighteen. Um, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's probably and it's, and it's a lot of reasons because of what you what you just highlighted. You know, market makers today are algo shops. Um, it's not banks. It's not specialists, obviously. Uh, and, you know, it's, 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 it's folks that are, and, you know, and, and that's not necessarily, that's not by, by its nature evil, uh, but, but algo shops are probably the most VAR-sensitive entities in the marketplace um, and, and, and incredibly volatility and VAR-sensitive entities. And, and, you know, what that means for, for our listeners is that when volatility gets high, they just pull back. Um, so, you know, like, think, you know, think about the, the, the pit option trader in, in October of 87, just like not seeing guys that wanted to trade with them. Like these, these, you know, you just turn your back and you don't see them, you don't trade, right? This is, this is the, the, the kind of modern day equivalent of something like that. And it's part of the reason why we've got these really, really sharp V type of markets uh, that we experienced both in 18, you know, fourth quarter of 18, first quarter of 19, and, the, you know, the last three or four months. The sharpness of these V markets we've seen is a, is, is a direct relation to the, the, just the really crummy liquidity situation that we found ourselves in, and it's, it's, it's partly because the, 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 the market makers, not only in S&P, like, not only in like stock futures and stock markets, but now even in the treasury market, we, we're starting to, to detect it, uh, like treasury futures market, that, you know, that when things get really hairy, the guys, just markets aren't there. So, you, you know, you have $5 million of stock to move, you're going you're gonna to push boost three points. Like that's, you got $100 million of stock to move, you're going to push it 10 points. And guess what? That's going to induce other types of behavior and, and, and other kinds of kind of activity. So, you know, you get this, this really nasty negative feedback loop associated with, with, you know, continuing market movements or markets that continue the same direction because there's just a really crummy liquidity environment out there that's dominated by the vault sensitive guys. Um, and, I don't see that changing anytime soon. So, you know, I think, I think that we do need to set ourselves up, and, you know, like intellectually or sort of philosophically, I think we've got to start preparing for much more frequent and much more sharp V markets, um, which you can be able to take advantage of if, you know, if you have this tank pattern, you've got some stomach and you understand the phenomenon that's driving the, the why is it being this sharp on the, on the way down and then also on the way back up. You know, understanding what, like, why that's happening, uh, you know, might give you a little bit of insight as to how to trade through something like that or how to manage through something like that. Um, but, but just, just like looking at it from the from the top view, um, you know, that might be something that scares you. But, but if you understand that it's, you know, it's largely a liquidity function that's that's, that's driving the sharpness of some of these moves, especially in March and April, um, you know, like might, that might be a helpful perspective for for some of our viewers. Well, um, last question for you is really just about uh, how much you guys trade, I, not, not trade, how much, you know, the executions you guys do, let's say on a monthly basis, about what percentage of it is options um, and what percentage is either those ETFs that you described or um, the indexes that you're trading. Um, if you wanna break it down between stock and options, fine, but what sort of numbers are we looking at there for a $6 billion um, portfolio that you guys run through all of your businesses? 
it's, it's probably about 75% ETFs, uh, probably 10 or 15% single stocks and the remainder in, in, in derivatives-based securities. Um, and, and so, it, you know, the, the bulk of what we do is, is in the ETF market. Um, you know, they, it does supply some really nice liquidity characteristics, especially in like fixed income or foreign markets. Um, some really, some really attractive uh, characteristics with respect to how you can access previously unaccessible markets like that. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the, the bulk of our trading ends up being ETF based, um, at least, at least, but you know, the, the, the large majority of it. Um, but it's, it's, it's something that is very, very time dependent for us. So it's very market dependent on how fast and how much we're going to trade. Um, so a year like 2017, when like nothing moved except for like three basis points up every day and everything, <laughs> like that was all that happened. Uh, you know, like we, I think we traded twice the entire year across all the portfolios. Um, a, you know, a year like this, a little bit more. Um, you know, like we, we traded pretty much every day for about six weeks. Um, and, and not some, you know, not necessarily small trades. So it was, it was, uh, um, you know, it, our trading activity level is really dictated by the environment that we find ourselves in, um, and that, you know, that is that is a result of being not necessarily a market making kind of presence, more of a positioning taking kind of presence. Beautiful. Hey, Scott, you've done a great job um, explaining for our viewers and listeners exactly what a firm like Horizon does, and I really can't thank you enough. I hope you guys have continued success and uh, that it's a great rest of 2020 for you. As crazy as 2020 has been, um, it has been, as I've said as well, um, one of the best trading years that I've ever seen. And I know you guys are managing, not trading as much, but still it's been a great year for trading. And I agree with Scott's observations, folks, about uh, that uh, we're likely to see a lot more of this, a lot more of those sharp moves uh, in the market because of uh, both high frequency and algorithmic trade and so forth. So Scott, Scott Ladner of Horizon Investments, the CIO there. Scott, thank you very much for your time today. John, I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. All good. Beautiful. Scott, that was fantastic. I hope I didn't keep you too long uh, away from the market. Dude, it was awesome. I really love, love talking to you. Love, love uh, at least kind of chatting virtually a little bit. Hope we can have a beer sometime. I hope so too. And I made the mistake of saying I thought you were in South Carolina, but obviously Charlotte's in North Carolina. But it, it, no, nobody knows that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you're dyslexic. <laughs> Apparently it affects geographic, not just uh, letters on a page or something. But thank you very much. <laughs> Please give my best to all the folks down there. I will, dude. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.